I come downstairs, the light of the early morning on everything. I'd just gotten up to pee like I always do about seven and thought, maybe I'll stay up, get an early start. So I put on the water. I dump yesterday's coffee out of the French press. I turn on the news. I feel like an adult. I lean on the sink. I look at the reflection of my body, deformed in the curved chrome of the toaster. I suck my belly in. The news is a list of deaths. And as I listen, a feeling of guilt simmers under my skin and I slowly become aware of the yellow-brown streaks in the corners of the kitchen. Emily's plants. It was like the one thing I was supposed to do was take care of them. But I might as well have been sent by the government as a plant assassin. I guess the succulents are holding out. I just imagine them hunkered down in ditches singing their little songs to keep up morale. I'm in the middle of checking the plants in the living room when I make a complicated discovery. Some of the plants that I haven't killed are in fact plastic, mixed in with the real plants. So this terrifying thought comes, maybe I have killed all the actual real plants. So I frantically begin doing the thumbnail through the leaf test to anything that's still green. Less than half are fake, which is relieving, but also means that the survivors now have significant injuries in addition to their malnourishment. Fuck. I'm assessing the artificiality of the plants in the front window when I see them again. Jennifer and the twins, the not-girl scouts. They're walking up the walk of a house halfway down the block and across the street. So I duck behind a murdered fern. I watch them disappear onto the porch of that house for about 30 seconds. Then they reappear, then move on to the next house. Same thing. Are they going door-to-door at 7 a.m.? That's so rude. They can't expect people to actually answer and give them money this early. Also, we were out till like 3 a.m. with them. When do they sleep? Then they get to the howdy lady's house, two doors down. I call her that because whenever she sees me, she just waves and only says howdy from her screen door. I watch them go up her walk, dodging all of her weeds. Then they disappear from my view. 30 seconds, nothing. 45 seconds. Past a minute. Maybe the lady answered. Man, maybe she really yelled at him. Serves him right the little... Oh, wait. The little girls reappear, smiling and waving. My gut sinks with disappointment. Well, damn it. I'll say something then. They're just little kids, and I'm a grown-up, and they don't know that being grown-up is fake yet. Someone needs to tell them that this is rude, that you can't just do this. So I get up from behind the fern. I stand behind the front door and wait for them to ring. I hear the muffled sounds of them coming up to the porch. I hear them grab the screen door handle. I straighten up, wait for it. I'll wait a few seconds before I answer, I think, and then act all mad like they woke me up. And then I'll confront them about all this following me and zoo scheme stuff too. Just say it all out loud. Make them realize they are being silly little kids. What, you think I'm just going to help you with your stupid little girl plans? Well, guess what? I'm almost 70 inches tall. You Wait, I see them through the front window, walking to the next house. Wait, they didn't knock. A ring. What? So I wait a few seconds, and then I open the front door. 
There's a flyer rolled up and stuffed into the handle of the screen door. Wait, they're flyering? I mean, that's fine. I guess. I reach around and I pull it out and I unroll it. There's a graphic of a zebra behind bars. And then it says Save Zoe above it. It also says All Night Rally at the Pepper Height Zoo and then gives the date. It's in a couple days. But then my eyes focus instead on the little brown box sitting on the welcome mat outside. I bend down and pick it up. It's another cake box. And again, it has Luke's name written delicately on top. Wait, are the Girl Scouts or the not Girl Scouts bringing these cakes too? What the fuck? Oh, the water's boiling. I walk into the kitchen and I set the cake down on the counter and I turn the stove off. I pour the hot water into the French press. The smell of coffee brings me back into my body. And all of a sudden I'm hungry. I look down at the cake. About 20 minutes later, I'm sitting on the couch in my shorts, just playing with my phone, cake crumbs on my belly, letting Grinder and Instagram wash my mind from my skull. I swipe down to refresh the Grinder grid, and a familiar profile pops up right next to mine. Blank. No picture, but a star. I smile, and I think of Luke next door in the empty house. I start writing to him, but then the doorbell. Jesus, these little girls just don't quit. I race to the door and I yank it open and... It's Luke. Oh, hi. Hi. He looks sleepy. And there's a new mark on the side of his neck, stretching around to the back. I look at it and swallow. Are you okay? Yeah. I think that girl has my backpack, because I have hers, and, I mean, we must have grabbed the wrong ones last night. See? He unzips the pink backpack to show me. Inside are various pieces of measuring equipment, a calculator, a water filter, a lighter, an emergency flare, and a few juice boxes. The fancy real juice kind. Oh, that's the fancy real juice. Yeah... I had one. So that must mean the girls have your juice boxes, huh? And a lot of other things. He doesn't acknowledge my joke at all. I feel kind of silly. I I need to find them and get it back. Well, they were just here. Really? When, like just now? Did that ringleader girl have my backpack? Jennifer. Yeah, whatever. I don't remember. It was like half an hour ago. What's that? I forgot I'm still holding the cake box. I crumple it quickly just out of sheer instinct. Nothing. It's just a... box. I put on clothes, and me and Luke set off down the street, the same way the not-girl scouts went when they left. We're walking quick. Their path was clearly marked by the houses with flyers. We followed the flyers to the bigger houses up by the ravine. The dream light of morning had turned into factual daytime, and the air was absolutely perfect. Luke is quiet, but it's not uncomfortable. It seems like he's just like that. It's peaceful, not eerie, you know? Still without being dead. I think about how people say old soul. I've never really known what that means. 
but he has more grace than most people. Definitely more grace than me. And also, I'm not a quiet type. And I can't not talk about this anymore. Hey, can we talk about this dream? What do you want to talk about? I don't know about how weird it is. Like, if two separate people are having the same dream, that must mean that the source of the dream is outside of both of their minds. Yeah. It could be anything, because, like, that's everything. Well, I'm really weirded out by that. And you don't seem weirded out. And I'm really weirded out by that. Maybe I'm really weirded out and I'm just not saying. Well, are you? No. What's so weird? Every religion all over the world has people sharing visions and dreams. It's just regular human stuff. You think this is religious? No. I mean, we would have to write an epic book and systematically kill a bunch of people for it to be a religion. What we have is the beginnings of a cult at most. <laughs> a cult? Can we have a death pact? Yes, we will wear all white jumpsuits and only use Dr. Bronner's. No, I really can't wear all white. I will spill so much food on it. I'm going to look like an uncle at a barbecue. Oh, don't worry. We'll get you a special jumpsuit just for eating. Luke smiles at me. And I feel a smile almost happen to my face. Wait, look. Luke points to one of the houses. The flyers stop abruptly mid-block. I don't know, maybe the girls live in one of these houses. I don't know. They all ran toward North Heights last night. Oh, there, look. We both see it. It's a little path leading into the woods. Down by the ravine. Well-worn. Luke and I do the same ducks and turns that kids have probably been doing for decades as the path twists down into the trees. The woods are still dark and cool, like the nighttime hasn't quite left them yet. The terrain slopes down a little bit to a drop-off, the ravine. And the path runs along the edge of this drop in the woods for a while. Every once in a while I feel the cold, wet air from the ravine below on my skin as I'm walking. I can't stop staring at the blue marks slowly coming into existence on the back of Luke's neck. It's the shape of a hand. I can tell he notices, but he doesn't seem shy about it or try to cover it up. When he sees me looking, he just finds a way to move his neck casually so I can see more of the bruise. Do you know where we're going? They're probably at the tunnel. The tunnel? Yeah. What tunnel? You'll see, we're almost there. The path gets steeper and zigzags down through the cliffs, into the ravine. The ravine ends in a wall of rock and soil, a hill that's been eaten away by years of rain. At the bottom of that wall is the opening of a large tunnel, a concrete drainage tunnel like 10 feet across, with a trickle of sludgy water at the bottom, dripping into a stagnant creek. And there's flat rocks all around the opening to the tunnel, littered with beer cans and remnants of small fires, used condoms, graffiti, toys. It's clear that we have arrived at a sacred communal space for all kinds of neighborhood kids, homeless people, guys who want beers during lunch. But there's no sign of the not Girl Scouts or anyone. Luke walks up to the tunnel like a kid. I stay behind him. Whoa. There's a faint bad smell. 
I can't quite place it. Luke is standing under the black circle of the tunnel, looking into it. Hey! He yells into the tunnel. Then he turns at me and giggles. <laughs> and then his face gets real serious and he turns and runs into the tunnel and disappears into the dark. Luke! Luke, come on! Luke! Nothing. No sign of him. Quit playing around! I take a few steps towards the black hole. Luke! What? Ah! Luke is somehow right behind me. <laughs> How the fuck did you do that? That tunnel turns a corner and lets out just on the other side of this hill. We used to scare newbies doing that. Wait, you grew up here? Um, sort of, but we moved when I was 13 to Akron, or, or outside of it. He catches me looking at the back of his neck again. How does it look? Is it getting blue? He turns so I can see. Yeah. Real blue. The light is perfect here. We should take the first picture. He opens the camera app on his phone and then hands it to me. I walk out past him a bit on the flat rocks and he turns to get the light so the tunnel is behind him. Then he turns his head to the side and stretches out his neck. The blue fingers spread. I snap about five or six shots. Take some more. There's an edge to his voice. Something, I don't know. I snap a few more pictures. I take the phone to him and then I watch as he scrolls. They're almost all identical. His neck stretched, eyes up like a version of Jesus, the tunnel behind him. And then the last picture. Everything's almost the same as the others, except there's a hunched figure in the tunnel behind Luke. We both turn around. Whoa. It's a dog. A stray, it looks like. Moving strange, swaying. Me and Luke back up a little. And then another dog behind it from inside the tunnel. They both seem possessed by something. The other dog sees me and Luke and stops. Both are still. Me and Luke are still. The birds in the trees high above echo down into the ravine. Then one of the dogs jumps on top of the other one, biting his neck. Me and Luke take a step back. Then it starts fucking the other dog. Its body moving in a cold, jerky rhythm, like the way electricity can move a corpse. And there's a pitiful look on both of their faces. Then the top dog slides off awkwardly, still stuck inside the other dog. Then they just stand there ass to ass, panting, in the mouth of the tunnel. The whole thing takes less than 30 seconds. Hot. Do you want a juice box? We climbed out of the ravine, slurping our juice boxes. We walked a small path out of the woods and into a perfect summer day. In mid-October. Probably the last, I said. Let's not waste it, he said. We didn't eat ice cream cones or share a milkshake with two straws. We didn't climb the rusty fence into the old cemetery and laugh at the names on the graves or make up lives to go with them. We didn't run barefoot in the grass or lay on the ground with haystalks in our mouth, naming the animals in the clouds, 
although the clouds were certainly cooperating, spilling off the lake, big and puffy and moving fast. Nope. All we did was walk around and talk. At one point I wanted to get coffee, but the only choice was a certain chain coffee shop that I won't mention here, but let's just say that it's scub rats backwards. We sat outside on their contrived to be cozy patio, shared a cigarette. I coughed and immediately regretted it. Also, it immediately made me have to poop. When I got back from the bathroom, Luke was watching a red balloon high in the sky that someone somewhere had let go. We both watched it disappear and didn't say anything while the bland adult contemporary music played. Then we walked around some more, talked about whatever, joked. It wasn't deep or super emotional. It was just easy. And the day slipped away just as fast as the clouds were moving. It was only when Luke said we should get high that we remembered that he didn't have his backpack. So we shared the last juice box instead and focused on finding the not Girl Scouts again. I suggested the grocery store. Maybe they were at their table. We looked, but they weren't. And the light in the bakery section looked like it was fixed. Luke said we should replace the juice boxes. And then I thought I should grab a few things. And then he needed a few more things. And then what was supposed to be a quick in and out thing turned into a full on grocery trip. So now we are in real danger of being kicked out of the express lane for having too many items. And 16, one over. It's not express for everyone else if people don't count before they enter the line, Lucas. Come on, Bethann. There's nobody else in line. You counted the juice boxes as three items, even though it's a three-pack. Bethann looks at Luke and immediately softens and starts to scan. That is good juice. <laughs> Fancy. Then she grabs the generic disposable enemas that Luke put on the belt. She smiles a sweet smile at him, and then she scans them and immediately bags them. Luke tries not to look at me. You take such good care of your Nana. Luke closes his eyes and blushes. Oh my God, he's been lying to the grocery clerk about why he buys enemas. Bet she thinks the world of you. Oh, she just adores him. You should see the two of them together, really. I grin at Luke. Luke looks back at me hard, his eyes unblinking. What does she call you again, Luke? Remember? Come on, your nickname? I watch Luke's face change like water. At first there's just embarrassment, but then something automatic seems to kick in, and a new face slides over the old one like a veil. The change is so subtle, but it was unsettling. I could see it in his eyes, and then he answers in an eerie, calm voice. She calls me Panda. It's like those movies when a torpedo hits a submarine and then the emergency flood doors automatically close to keep it from sinking and sailors have to listen to their friends drown through the doors. I realize I just torpedoed Luke and he had to close some hatches to stay afloat. Oh, yeah. That's it. It's Panda. 4128. You have a losser's discount card? We walk out into the slanting late afternoon sun, the parking lot of Loster's grocery store. The heat is starting to fade already. The smell of cool air is everywhere. Hey, I'm sorry. That was just a stupid, bad joke. Yeah, it's okay. Did you still want to get Emily's plants? Luke doesn't look at me. He shrugs his shoulders towards the greenhouse on the side of the grocery store. 
There's a sign above the glass doors that says Garden Center. Okay. As soon as we walk in, there's this sweet smell filling the air. And it's so humid and warm. There's rows of plants of all kinds arranged in aisles. There's people walking up and down them, squinting at the low-light, high-light plastic tabs that are stuck in the soil, trying to think of all the rooms in their lives. There's this big sandwich board right in the middle of the room, and it says, This weekend is the Pepper Heights Orchid Festival. Featured orchid, the Madagascar Honey Orchid. And then I noticed the bright red flowers placed in displays all over the greenhouse. One table in the middle has a lot of big ones with some brochures and stuff. Oh, that's that smell, I think. I pull up my friend Emily's Instagram, try to look for pictures of her plants when they were still alive. Luke glances over my shoulder. Um, let's start with the ferns, I guess? I don't know if those are ferns. We walk to a section labeled ferns, etc. We split up and take different aisles. My aisle is all plants with these huge, broad, symmetrical leaves, like way too big. It reminds me of Jurassic Park. Maybe Luke will think that's funny? Man, it's like Jurassic Park over here. I can't see his face, but he doesn't make a sound. Any luck over there? Nope. I look at the Instagram pic again. Maybe you're right. Maybe these aren't ferns. Maybe they're etc. Huh? Again, he stays quiet. I just need to make him laugh. What can I do? What can I do? So after a few seconds, I think, I got it. I got it. I'll reach my hand slowly through the plants into his aisle and do like a velociraptor impersonation with my hand and say, clever girl. That'll get him. But as I'm reaching my hand through the wall of plants, I feel something crawl on my wrist. So quickly, I yank it back out. And as I pull it out, I feel it. This point of searing pain on the back of my hand. A huge wasp tumbles out of the plants with my arm and falls to the floor. It lands on its back and its dark wings splay out behind it. Its shiny body writhes and stabs the air. It's way bigger than any other wasp I've ever seen. It has this thick abdomen with thin black and red stripes. I just watch it squirm. I hold my wrist and move away, but the pain is getting more intense each second. Luke comes around the plants and into my aisle. He almost runs into me as I'm backing up. Oh my god, are you okay? Uh, yeah, it hurts though. Fuck. Jesus, that's huge. I don't know, I feel weird. Are you allergic? <laughs> no, I never was before. Oh, Come on, you should sit oh. down. Come on. Oh. But before Luke can help me get to a bench, I sort of just collapse on the floor. My eyes feel hot. Give it space! Me and Luke look up. It's like a six-foot-tall wasp at the end of the aisle. I don't... With big, nasty wings? Wait, no, it... It's like a person. It's a person in a wasp costume? Like a mascot. Behind the fake dark mesh wasp eyes, I can see the shine of human eyes. And the human wasp spreads its arms wide across the front of a small group of people that are gathering behind it at the other end of the aisle, peeking around its wings. Luke and I are at the opposite end of the aisle. The real wasp is in the middle. Everyone stay back. The real wasp flips itself over, and everyone gasps. It's walking in small, angry circles, easily three inches long, its abdomen still 
doing that flexing, sinister, humping thing. It's a female. There was respect and awe in the human wasp's voice. It stung me. You allergic? Any breathing difficulties? No, I don't think so. My eyes feel hot, though. Okay, yeah, that's normal. You're gonna be fine. I'll come over there in a minute when they're done. They, I think? And then I hear it. A small hum. Barely noticeable at first, but then it grows. And then I see the first one drop into the aisle right on top of the wasp. It's another wasp, but this one is way smaller, like an inch and mostly black. And then another, and another, and another. More and more wasps coming out from the plants and down from the ceiling, all converging on the big wasp that stung me. This rolling clump of terrible little bodies. I can't even see the big one anymore. After a few seconds, I start seeing the dead ones fall out of the clump, twitching in the aisle before their bodies close up on themselves and go still. More wasps are still arriving, but I feel this rush of hot pain in my arm. My eyes feel like they're on fire. I hear Luke's voice above me, but it sounds like it's underwater. What the fuck? That is insane. And then the world fades to white in this slow motion firework. And I pass out. I open my eyes. Puffy white clouds move above me like a mobile. And then a huge shadow comes into view. It blocks out the sky. It's a face. The face of a huge wasp. It's okay. It's okay. And then Luke's face comes into view. You just passed out for a minute. The wasp says that that's normal too? I do not believe that just happened. The wasp reaches up and takes off its head. Long hair falls down at me. The honey wasp is an intense sting, dude. Like Schmidt level three. But like, we just saw a honey wasp mating swarm in person fucking rad. The females are super rare. That's why they mate like that. It's a total wasp gangbang in there right now. I did my dissertation on the role of sex pheromones in swarming behavior in hymenoptera. Um, hi. I'm Carol. Um, How you feeling, bro? I will. You're gonna be super fine. Their venom isn't really toxic to us, but it's just like a lot at once. So it's a total head rush. I'm gonna go back in there and make sure the manager isn't raiding them all. Okay. Also, I wanna see if I can watch the female deposit her eggs. Okay. Your dude has you, right? Uh-uh. Yeah. Carol nods at Luke, and then she puts the wasp head back on, and stands up. Yeah, take a brochure. She drops a book next to me and then heads back towards the greenhouse, steadying her wasp head as she runs. And she's running against the small crowd that's running away from the greenhouse. Did she deposit her eggs yet? Luke looks down at me. Guess I'm your dude. I sit up. I'm on the sidewalk in front of the grocery store. The world starts to come into focus. The few people that haven't run away screaming from the garden center are looking into the windows. But next to them, there's this dead-eyed little boy feeding quarters into a candy machine. It's this candy that 
turns your mouth all different colors. But he's not taking the candy. He just drops a quarter in, slowly turns the metal dial, and listens to the song that the machine plays, with his head tilted to the side a little bit. Each piece of candy spills out of the metal spout and lands with the rest of them by his shoes. Me and Luke just watch him. But then he notices and turns slowly to us and waves this weird little wave. Then he turns back to the machine and gets out another quarter. Luke and I turn onto Emily's street. Luke had to help me walk for the first few blocks after the grocery store. I think he's still a little mad, though he's acting like he's not. And I can still feel the wasp's sting hot on my hand, but I think it's getting better. Luke is thumbing through the brochure that Carol the wasp gave us. The Madagascar honey wasp is the only known pollinator of the Madagascar honey orchid one of only a handful of honey-producing wasps. Once a female is ready, she hides in an orchid and waits to be discovered by a male. When she is, she releases certain pheromones and any other males in the area swarm around her. Most males are stung to death by the female during mating. Jesus. And then she deposits her eggs in the base of an orchid. See, so she was trying to kill me. Oh, apparently the honey is a delicacy in certain parts of Africa and Asia. It says it tastes strong and strange. Strong and strange? Does it actually say that? Yep. <laughs> strange. The shadows are long. We stop in front of the empty house. There's lots of small fuzzy things floating high in a golden shaft of sunlight coming through the trees. Look. Looks like a fairy tale. Fairy tale. You know that's just a couple of synonyms away from a gay lie. He smiles at me over his shoulder as he walks down the driveway of the empty house to the back door. But it was a reheated smile. Okay, talk to you soon, I say. Yep, he says without turning. I hear it echo off the side of the house. Then he rounds the corner by the back porch where I first saw him and disappears. I climb the six steps up to Emily's porch and make my way there to... There you are. Jesus Christ! It's Jennifer. She's on Emily's porch, sitting on the porch swing. Can't you just walk up to someone like normal? You're always like jumping out of the shadows like a creep. There weren't any shadows when I got here. She seems like her feelings are actually hurt. <sighs> We've been looking for you all day. Luke has your backpack. Do you have his? Oh, um, it's still at Meryl and Cheryl's house. We had a sleepover last night. Uh, oh, well, okay, well, Luke, Luke says there's important stuff in there, so, like, don't open it. I thought it was my bag. Of course I opened it. I didn't see anything that looked important. Only empty water bottles and weird underwear with the butt cut out. Have you been bringing little cakes here? What? Little cakes. In little cardboard boxes with Luke's name on top of them. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
She's such a cloudy lake of a girl. She gets up from the porch swing. The chain creaks loudly. She walks up to me slowly where I'm standing, at the top of the stairs. But I'm glad you're starting to ask questions. Her head tilts slightly like a dog's head. She looks at me and narrows her eyes. I think you're starting to see. See what? That there's dirt under the grass in Pepper Heights. See you at the rally. And she smiles and hooks her eyes into me as she walks around me and down the stairs, just like I saw her do with Critch. I'm here too. Jesus! One of the twins leaps out from the shadows on the porch and then scurries after Jennifer. The fuck? Later on, I'm absentmindedly touching the sting on the back of my hand and looking at the dead plants, which we never replaced. Worrying. And my phone lights up. A text from Luke. Come over. Door is unlocked. I'm upstairs. Horny face. Guess he's not mad anymore. A few minutes later, I'm standing on the porch of the empty house, looking at the door. The night air is mild, almost warm. I'm only wearing, like, sweatshorts and flip-flops and a tank top. And it's mid-October. This has to be one of the last warm nights, I think. I'm tired and still sort of woozy from today. But there's a horniness that is constantly aching its way towards sex under my skin and will grab the wheel if it needs to. I take a breath. I go in. Kick off my flip-flops by the front door. The inside of the empty house is dark. Streetlights are shining through the uncurtained windows, casting warm rectangles all over the inside. It's an eerie reversal. I go to the stairs. They're carpeted, thick new carpet. It feels amazing between my bare toes. And they're absolutely silent as I go up, no creaks, like new stairs. I get to the top, the upstairs hallway. It's dark except for one rectangle of street light at the other end and an edge of warm light spilling out from underneath a closed door. I walk up to it. I grab the knob. I turn it. And it slowly opens. I see Luke. He's kneeling. Legs folded under him, knees in front. He's only wearing his underwear. There's a lamp on the floor. A sleeping bag spread out on the carpet and a grungy blanket twisted up beside it. A pile of clothes in the corner. And not much else. Hey. Hey. He stands up. And what I thought was underwear is actually a red and blue jock strap, Like lava red and cornflower blue. The colors of old Superman. He walks over to me and starts kissing me. My hands land on his torso, but something doesn't feel right. His mouth doesn't feel the same, like it's not alive, like it's just pieces of wet meat. And he touches me, but I can't really feel my own body. It's like I got locked out of it, in a storm. But still, I take off my shorts, and then my shirt. Luke keeps his jock strap on, though, and we keep kissing. 
I feel like I'm in one of those cheap Florida hotel rooms in porn. Men in faded Star Wars shirts just behind the cameras telling us what to do. Luke moans in the right way, he moves in the right way, he arches his body in just the right way, but I can tell he's locked out of himself too. I stop. He almost seems relieved. I run my fingers through his thick hair. I grab it a little bit and pull his head to the side. We both smile, but there's still a distance. Even if we are both locked out of ourselves, I guess we're still on separate porches. Let's lay down. Okay. We lay down on his sleeping bag, moving at a very unsexy speed in order to get through the awkward positions of transition. Can we just cuddle? Yeah, okay. We wrap around each other. This feels better than the kissing. We settle a bit. Hey, so I really am sorry about earlier. It's okay. It's stupid. I don't think it's stupid. It's fine. I embarrassed you in front of somebody that's not fine. Luke looks up at me. How's your hand? It's fine. I mean, it still hurts. He sees me staring at one of his bruises. I look away quickly. You can look. It's okay. It's... It's just... I don't know. It's... It's kind of pretty. It's really colorful. Yeah, that's part of it. Part of what? It's what makes it hot. Most of them want pictures of their mark. They love seeing it at different stages. Whoa. Were these all different guys? Not all. Some repeats. He looks away. I reach out and touch a yellow welt on his inner thigh without really thinking. He lets out a small noise. <sighs> Shit, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I won't I won't touch anymore. I should have asked. No, it's really okay. Really? Okay. Does it hurt? Yeah, but that's fine. It's just it makes me remember, that's all. Remember. He looks at me. Yeah. He reaches out and puts my hand back on the weld. Presses my fingers into his thigh with his. And again he winces a little bit. But then he takes his hand away. And I leave my hand there. Then we're just looking at each other. And he starts to smile. And his eyes seem like... They're a doorway he wants me to walk through. What do you remember? That one was a guy in the parking lot behind the bar last week. In the back of his SUV. It was quick. He smelled like a dentist's hands. He squeezed my leg as he finished. Then he drove me back here. That's the only time I saw his face. Every few seconds as we drove past the streetlights. I take my fingers from his leg. I wait a second. Sort of unsure what to do. But then I reach out to a round bruise on his side, this purple splotch over his ribs. I trace it a little bit. Then I 
push my finger into the middle of it hard, and his body tenses. His eyes close. Tell me about this one. That was the handle of a meat grinder, the butcher, down at Rivington. On the prep table in the back, he put paper down under us. I could hear it crinkling like a doctor's office. <laughs> and all his knives swinging, clinking on each other. Luke's hips are starting to flex. His jock strap is bulging. I stop pushing on the bruise, and it's like he lands back in the room with me. We both just sit there for a second. And then I run my fingers softly up his torso. I put my palm on his chin. I close my fingers so I can hold his face tight, level with mine, and I stare into his eyes. Then with my index finger, I slowly press into a scab on his lower lip. He breathes out. I feel it warm on my finger, and his eyes close. It's like he's somewhere else. Was a young guy um, who followed me into the library playground? It was so hot. He sounds so good. He started slow, but then he got real rough. The mulch hurt my knees. He pulled my hair. He kept slapping my face. I feel my body again, and I know exactly which bruise I want to go to next. So I reach up to the back of Luke's neck, and I line my hand up with the shadow of the blue hand, and I push him hard, and I pull his head firmly towards me, and I speak right into his mouth. scared sound. His breath releases onto my lips. His eyes pop open an inch from mine. Shit, maybe that was too much. We just breathe. I slowly let up on the blue hand. His lips close gently around mine. We kiss softly. Once. And then twice. And then he leans his forehead on mine. I look down at his body, the colors of all the bruises, like a surreal moonscape. It felt like the whole neighborhood was breathing with us that night, like the clouds even stopped racing and just hung there, snuggled over Pepper Heights. I didn't know this then, but less than a mile away at the same time, 10-year-old Eric Schmollenberger was having a different sort of night. Earlier that day, in the morning before school, he snuck into his older sister's room and stole a piece of candy from her friend Jennifer's pink backpack, an Altoid. Only it wasn't Jennifer's backpack, and that wasn't just candy. But he didn't know either of those things, so he let the mint dissolve on his tongue on the bus. When the acid kicked in, he was in science class. He felt so strange. He had just watched the movie E.T. and became instantly convinced that, like Elliot, he had an alien friend at home. He immediately left school and went to find it. However, he got distracted by 
well, everything. He did spend at least an hour in front of the grocery store listening to the music from a candy machine. So as he lay in bed that night in the dark, trying his very best to be tired, the song came back to him. Then he heard a voice in the dark with him. Um, who's there? It's me, Eric, the color captain, captain of all the colors. All the colors? Yes, Eric. And do you know how many colors there are? Uh, no. Oh, so many colors, Eric. Uh, um... There are so many colors in the world, Eric Schmoldenberger, let's count them all, let's start tonight. So many colors in the world, Eric Schmoldenberger, put them all together and you get white. White? White. Oh. I think that's just with, like, light theory, though. I don't There's blue like the blue of the summer sky, green like the big green trees, red like the apples that you take to school, yellow as a cheddar cheese, yes, so many colors in the world, Eric Schmollenberger, let's count them all, why not tonight? So many colors in the world, Eric Schmollenberger, all of them at once and you'll get white. Um, there's two more ladies now. Hello, Eric. Hello. Oh, God. Then, of course, there's purple. Purple as the veins in your mother's legs Like the color of the vicious corvins Eggs like the tiny little worms in everyone's pool Like the eyes of the dragons that are hunting you Hunting you There are so many colors in the world Eric Schmollenberger, let's count them all We have all night So many colors in the world Eric Schmollenberger, get them all together A blinding white. <laughs> Dream Boy is co-created by Dane Terry and Ellie Heyman. Developed and directed by Ellie Heyman. Written, composed, and performed by Dane Terry. Featuring Michael Cavadias, Renata Friedman, Morgan Meadows, Avery Drought, and Gianna Massi. Sound designed, engineered, mixed, and mastered by Chris Weingarten at Banana Peel Studio. Edited by Alexander Charles Adams. Creative producer and assistant director Ashlyn Hatch. Associate producer Adam Cecil. Executive producer Christy Grussman. A very special thanks to Night Vale Presents. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dream Boy Podcast. For more info and for merch, check out dreamboypodcast.com. From the creators of Welcome to Night Vale, Alice Isn't Dead, and within The Wires comes a new Audible original, Unlicensed. In the outskirts of Los Angeles, where the cul-de-sacs and strip malls sprawl into the desert, two unlicensed private investigators scrape by on whatever small cases come their way. But when a teenage girl pleads for them to take the strangest case of their career, this unlikely pair, with no resources and no backup, will follow a trail of seemingly unconnected cases 
which will lead them to a ransom, a murder, a mysterious wellness center, and a conspiracy that might go all the way to the governor. It's important to catch small fires early. They don't stay small for long. Unlicensed. Available now at audible.com slash unlicensed.